Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. You know, this morning, I want to first thank you for last week. And what I mean by that is thank you for allowing us to to pivot. Because as we began, we were supposed to go uh, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And you're well aware now we made it through verse 1. But I believe it's the, the only way that God would have had us to go last week. And, and I always want to celebrate when we do exactly what God has instructed us as a church to do. As we watched last week, we got to watch people respond with surrender. We, we got to watch people in both hours respond in brokenness and obedience. We had a young man step into a, a new life trusting and following Jesus at the end of our 1045 last week. In church, we're never gonna get tired of celebrating as our family grows. And so I am so thankful that God moved. I'm thankful that you were willing not to just say, hey, you know what, this isn't what he said. We're just gonna, uh, we're gonna check out now. He done got off script. Are you not used to that by now? We're probably just gonna stay off script. But you know, as we see people moving, as we see people broken, as we see people responding to what God was doing in their life last week, it all results because people are in a place where we're willing to face the troubles and trials that we walk through. We're willing to acknowledge them. We're willing to talk about them. Because when we face troubles and trials, the easiest thing for us to do is to get that mentality of out of sight, out of mind. We'll just pretend it's not there. It'll eventually go away instead of talking about this trouble, instead of talking about this trial. I've shared part of this story before, but I'm gonna share it again. And I don't ever want my wife to have the microphone because it could really go south. But an example of out of sight, out of mind, when she was 10 years old, I believe it was, at her grandmother's house for Christmas, she was very angry at her grandmother because her grandmother stole her job in lighting all of the candles in the house that day. So because she was bitter at her grandmother, she found a couple of candles that had not yet been lit. And so she immediately took the lighter, she found the unlit candle, and to quickly discover there was a reason that it was not lit. There was a paper mache angel that was directly over the top of it. And so as she lit the candle, the flame immediately went to the paper mache angel who passed on the glory of God, I guess, to the curtains. And then the curtains began to engulf in flames and the flames went up the wall and began to billow and spin and do all of that stuff. And because she's so responsible, you know what she did? Out of sight, out of mind, I'm going to the other room. That's no lie. I didn't make that up. I didn't add to it. That's the reality of what she did. But praise be unto God, she finally got in there and said, you know what? We can't ignore that. I probably need to tell somebody. And so, 
you know, a fire truck later. Um, they extinguished the fire and later had to rebuild the entire front of the house. But can you imagine? Had she continued on ignoring it? She had to go back and face it. She had to go back and face the reality of the trouble that even in her case she had caused. But had she let it continue without acknowledging it, without talking about it, it could have been so much worse. It could have been catastrophic to lives, to, to the home. But thankfulness for the reality that I still have my wife and that she didn't die because of paper mache angel. So I'm thankful and grateful for you paying attention, Chelsea. But you know, that is often, I hope you realize the culture that we want to cultivate here. We don't want this to be a place where you put on that mask and come in from outside and pretend everything's fine. We want this place to be a place of openness where we can face troubles and trials together, where we can talk about things. I sat with a group of men this weekend and watched men in tears pour out their troubles to one another. That's what the family of God looks like. We've got to face these things. We've got to quit sweeping them under the rug and pretend they don't exist. And what we got to see over the last couple of weeks is we see God be God when we will acknowledge our troubles. The Bible talks about that Jesus is the God of all comfort. Well, what happens is when we acknowledge things, when we get them out there, it allows God to be who he is, that God of comfort. Second Corinthians chapter one, Paul talks about this, this God of comfort. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture to read, and this is not even where we're gonna be. This is just something I wanted to share, but second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four, Paul writes this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. You see, church, as a follower of Christ, when we begin to acknowledge our afflictions is when God begins to comfort. He's gonna comfort through his word. He's gonna comfort through his people. He's gonna comfort through the intimacy time that you have with him. And that's exactly what Jesus is exemplifying and where we've been looking the last couple of weeks in, in John chapter 14. So you can go ahead and flip to John chapter 14. And, and what we're gonna continue watching is, is Jesus living out this element of being the comforter, of being the comforter to the disciples whose hearts are troubled. Remember, they've just, they've just took a lot of blows as they've sat down and listened to Jesus and what he's told them is, is on the brink, what they're about to face, the, the hard times that they're about to walk through. And so we've seen Jesus doing exactly what John talks about, loving them to the end. Loving them to the end. And so that's exactly what we watched and read last week in John chapter 14, verse one. Remember, they've just heard that their savior is about to leave them. He's about to die. That Judas is gonna betray and then that Peter, the rock, is gonna end up denying. And so the hits just keep on coming. So their hearts are troubled in light of what they're facing. And Jesus responds by saying what he says in verse one, do not let your heart be troubled. 
Believe in God, also believe in me. Jesus is telling them, hey, look, settle down. You've trusted me this far. So just keep trusting me. Keep believing me, keep trusting me. And so we see that he continues talking about being the God of comfort. Remember, we see that this is the most selfless act. He's about to die. He's about to be scourged. He's about to be murdered. And he's more concerned about their troubles and how they feel than what he himself is about to face. That's the definition of love. Self-disinterest that we talked about two weeks ago. But what's interesting is Jesus is specifically talking about right now in this current moment, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me right now. But then what he begins to do is paint the picture of what's coming. He's gonna talk about the future events that are gonna take place and what he's, what he's longing for is them to be comforted by what's coming. Yes, troubles are gonna continue to come, but he's gonna give them some promises today that I hope that we can cling to that'll encourage us to keep walking through the troubles and trials that we face. So I promise I'm gonna read verses two and three last week or this week. If you remember last week, I got to verse two and I think I read the first word and the Holy Spirit of God said, boy, shut up. So we got quiet and we let God do what God did. But we're gonna read verse two and three unless he shuts me up again. Here we go. In, okay, yeah, we're in, all right. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Verse three, if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will, I will, that's 100% chance, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So keep in mind, their hearts are troubled because they're thinking about the absence of their savior. They know that he's getting ready to exit, that know he's getting ready to leave. And so Jesus's response, their troubled hearts are because of his absence, but what he quickly lets them know, he says, I'm not leaving for no reason. I'm leaving for a purpose. I'm going to the Father's house for a reason. And we see that. He says, I'm going home to my Father's house. And not only am I going to my Father's house, but I'm going to get it ready for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, obviously, Jesus is talking about heaven in referencing to the Father's house, the kingdom of God. And I know that when we hear this, that he's going to prepare a place for us, we've all envisioned our mansion in heaven. Have we not? We could go around the room and we could all talk about what our visions of our mansion in heaven are. You know, mine's gonna have a big old front porch, probably a screened in back porch, old squeaky front door. Sound like a country song now. Y'all can already tell where I'm going. But man, I'm like, I just wanna be right in the middle of a bunch of property. Or I can sit on my front porch and say, this is my, my place. This is my mansion. There's only one problem with that. That's not exactly how the scripture teaches this place that our heavenly father is preparing for us. And we want to unpack just that thought and that mindset 
The Father's house is filled with many dwelling places. Now, this would have really connected with who Jesus is talking to. Because when you go back into the ancient times, what we realize and what we've discovered is that, that a home would have began in a tent with his mother and the father. And as they begin to have children, they would have had this, this one room tent. And then when a child was born, they would have basically added another piece of fabric that would have extended the father and mother's house. And then as the family kept growing, then they would add another piece of fabric. They would add another dwelling place. And so you can imagine what my tent would look like. It would be a debacle because there were just pieces of fabric everywhere. And so what we can see here is they would have really resonated with that because as the family grows, the father would have continued to add to the, the already existing tent. These rooms, these dwelling places would have been placed around the father's house. And so when we think about what does it mean when Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us, no, I don't believe we're gonna get to heaven and live in tents. Maybe. You know what? And I think when we stand in the presence of Jesus, it really ain't gonna matter what we live in. You ain't gonna be worried about if it's a tent, if it's a log cabin, if it's your mansion, because the reality is, is what makes heaven heaven is that our Savior is there. All this other stuff, do we realize when we focus on that, we're turning all the attention to us? We're forgetting the fact of the reason that we get to go home is to be with God, our Father, the one and the only. You can prop me up somewhere in the corner. I don't care because I get to see his nail-scarred hands and I get to be with the one who gives me life. The one who raised me up when I was dead in my trespasses and sin but no, I don't believe we're gonna live in tents. And actually, when we look and unpack the phrase dwelling places, a more accurate translation would be a bunch of a little apartments in the Father's house. And so when we think about that, we, we talk about a lot of rooms in God's house. I just have to pause and I have to contemplate what to me I can even make sense of is wouldn't it be just like God, our Father, to want all of us, his children, under one roof? All together in his house, he sent his son so that he could commune with us, so that we could be in fellowship with him. I don't think he wants me to be on some cabin out in the middle of nowhere, sitting on my front porch with all my acreage, not in his presence. That's not why he saved me. He saved me to be with him. He saved me to be in his presence, in communion with him. You know, I often think about what my wife says a lot of times, because when you have as many kids as we do, a lot of times we don't really know where they're at. I got home yesterday and I said, where are the kids? And she asked me, and if you would have asked me five minutes later, I wouldn't have had a clue what she said. I just know usually in most cases, when the sun goes down, they all show back up. But there's something that my wife often says. She says, you know, as chaotic as our life is with kids everywhere, she says, I just breathe easier when they're all home. I just breathe easier when all my kids are home. Do you not get a hint of that's probably 
the heart of our Father, that he probably just breathes a little easier when all the kids are home, when they're all under one roof. And could it be that he sits and goes, this is why I sent my son, so that we could be together in my house. But at the end of the day, I don't think our minds and our flesh can even comprehend what the father house is gonna look like, what it's gonna be like. And we could go on and we could continue talking about it, but I, but I want us to keep moving forward so that we can see these promises. Jesus says, I'm gonna prepare a place for you, but what we notice next is he says, if I go, I will come again. And according to Acts chapter one, verse nine, we know that as Jesus spoke of this, he says, if I go, I will come again. And in Acts chapter one, they got to witness him going. And so we already see that that part of the promise is being fulfilled. He's saying, I'm gonna go, but don't worry. I've promised you that I'm coming back. If I leave, which we know 100% truthfully that he, he left, they witnessed it. They eyewitnessed him going to be with his father in heaven. And he says, okay, if that happens, I'm coming again. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And I had a verse just jump off. I've read this so many times, but this, the last verse of chapter four just really, really resonated in my heart today. And, and this is what I wanted to communicate today. Start reading in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend. This is that second coming. He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. But I want you to pay close attention to verse 18. Therefore, because that event is going to happen, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. And as we saw last week, there's a lot of our hearts are troubled. A lot of our hearts are distraught. We're maybe in a season of confusion. We don't really know what tomorrow's gonna hold. We don't know what next week's gonna hold. And because of all that, we're carrying the weight of, of all of these troubles that we're walking through. Well, according to what we've just read that Paul has written, the way that we comfort each other is this. Hey, he's coming back. He's coming back. And with those words, we are commanded by God to comfort one another, to constantly be reminding each other, hey, my child, these troubles are temporary because he's already gone. And we know that if he goes, the word of God says he will come back. And that's our promise. That's what we cling to. That's how we keep fighting. That's how we face tomorrow. Not that the troubles are gonna go away, but we know that the troubles are coming to an end when he shows back up. That is the comfort, according to the word of God, that we have in this place today. And if he has the power to save us, can I tell you he has the power to sustain us to the end? If he has the power to save us, 
He has the power to sustain us. And so there's somebody here today, you just simply need to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit of God that says, hey, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You know, I think about when we drop our kids off places. Moms or dads, you probably experienced this just a moment ago. You may have dropped your kid off in the nursery. They were screaming and crying. And I know you're more super spiritual, so you go back and comfort them. My kids, we just open the door, throw them in there and say, we'll be back in an hour and a half. You worry about them. But for all you super spiritual parents, you know what it's like when you drop your kids off at at the grandparents, when you drop them off at school and they're broken, they're weeping because they don't want you to leave. They're broken because of the absence of you, not being around them. And and what do you do? A lot of times you will go back and you'll fall on your knees and you'll grab their hands or you'll hold on to them and you'll whisper to them and say what? Hey, don't worry, sweetheart. I'll be right back. I'm coming right back. Don't worry. I know you're upset. I know you're scared. I know your grandparents smell weird, but I'm coming right back. I'm coming right back. And then it's for some reason, the children, there's comfort in that. There's comfort in them. And all of a sudden, the the tears dry up. And all of a sudden, they turn and they can leave your presence because of what you've promised them. They're able to turn around and face their fears. They're able to turn around and face their doubts. They're afraid they're able to turn around and face their insecurities because of the promise that you've just made. How much more confident should we be that the father who will never fail has whispered and told us, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. So don't let the troubles of this world, don't let what you're walking through, don't let the fact that your home seems to be falling apart, you just keep holding on to me because I'm coming right back. I'll be right back. That's a promise. That is a promise from the Father who cannot lie. As exciting as that may sound, we're all fleshly human beings. And it's very easy to get distracted from the promises of God. It's very easy to forget that he tells us, I'm coming back. Because we get looking at our circumstances. We walk out onto the bow of the ship and we see the wind and the waves and the storm. And all of a sudden, we begin to forget what he's already promised. And that's what we're gonna see when it, when it gets to Thomas. I like Thomas because I think I can relate to this cat. But we're gonna see that, that Thomas, and I think as we talk about this conversation between him and Jesus, I want you to listen and find the similarities because this is probably very close to some of the conversations you have with your children. But look at what he says in verse four. Jesus says, and you know the way where I am going. And then here's Thomas's response. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Have you ever had that conversation with your kid where you give specific instruction? 
You tell them everything. You've poured out your heart. You've laid down the law. And all of a sudden, your kid goes, what'd you say? What'd you say? That's almost the kind of mentality I think Thomas is, has right here because Jesus has just told him, hey, I'm leaving, I'm going to the Father's house, I'm preparing a place for you, I'm coming again. And Thomas goes, oh, what'd you say? <laughs> Could it be that Thomas was so distraught by the circumstances that Jesus has told them that he's leaving, that he's not going away, that he never got past his circumstances and he didn't hear the promise that the Father's just given him? How many times does God make us promises in his word, but our circumstances scream so much louder than the whisper of God? You need to be reminded of his promises. Jesus has just told Thomas, dude, trust me. I'm getting your room ready. And if I go and I get it ready, I'm, I'm coming back. And it's almost as if Thomas can't get past the point that Jesus is leaving. He's so focused on his circumstances that he forgot the promise. And I think that every person in this room has been in these places that we get stuck in our circumstances and because of our circumstances, we forget the promises. And when we forget the promises, we begin this downward spiral into isolation and fear and anxiety. And we get worried about everything. But there's somebody here today that all you need to hear is, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. But we know that Thomas's heart's troubled by the questions that he answers. He asked the question, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? So he asked that question in our, basically, Jesus, where are you going and how do I get there? And so it's almost as if in his panic, of his circumstances, he reverts back to the old ways. He goes back to using that, that pronoun saying, I, what can I do? How do I get to where you're going? How do I know where you're going? Because remember, up to this point, to the coming of the Messiah, the Jews have exhausted themselves trying to follow rules, trying to follow laws, trying to earn God's love, trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. They've been exhausting themselves to try to be good enough so that they can have and be reconciled to the Father. But what they have found in their flesh is this is an impossibility. And so the harder they try, the more confused they become. Because if you remember, if we go all the way back to Moses, Moses was given the 10 commandments and communicated, hey, if we can follow these 10 commandments, you can be in fellowship with God. And they quickly realized in their flesh that that's an impossibility. 
And then over time, they got their hands on these 10 commandments and it evolved into over 600 rules and 600 laws. And so can you imagine the the frustrations that continued to build? We can't even follow 10 rules, much less 600 rules. So how are we gonna do this? But listen to what Jesus does. He's quickly saying, hey, Thomas, if you will be quiet and listen long enough, I know you're confused, I know you're frustrated, but I came to settle all of that. I came to fix all of the confusion. I came to fix all of the exhaustion, all of the frustration. Then he gives them the answer that we all need to be reminded of today in verse six. Jesus tells Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I want to read that one more time. Because that's the gospel. Jesus said to you, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, not anybody, zero, no one comes to the Father but through me. He quickly tells Thomas, Thomas, you can't get where I'm going on your own. Thomas, you can't do it. Thomas, you can't be good enough. But what you have to do is, Thomas, you've got to trust me to take you there. You've got to believe in me. You've got to follow me. You've got to surrender to me. You've got to die to yourself and give yourself to me. And if you will do that, Thomas, I'm going to take care of the rest. I'll get you there. I'll take you there. And he explains this even more in John chapter 10. If you flip back there, I want you to see this because I think this brings a lot of clarity to what Jesus has already spoken and he reemphasizes it in verse six. But look at what he says in John chapter 10, verses seven through 10. So Jesus said to them again, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep and all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Don't you love when the scripture explains the scripture? That's what Jesus is doing, is giving a detailed description of what he's meaning in John chapter four, verse six. He says, I am the only door. I am the only way. And he warns us of what verse eight says. He says, look, there's gonna be others that come that are gonna tell you that there's more doors, that there's more options, that there's more ways to get to where I'm going. But you better be careful because they're thieves and they're robbers. They're liars. And what they wanna steal is your soul. What they wanna steal is who God has created you to be. 
But Jesus is quickly reminding them, I'm the only one that can take you where I'm going. That's it. You know, I love hearing Peter talk about it. The very one that denied Jesus three times. In Acts chapter four, we read, he says, no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. There's theologies out there that will teach you differently. That'll say if you be good enough, if you kick this habit or you kick that habit, Shoot, there's some out there that even say, if you'll just show up at church, if you'll just repeat this prayer, this is the magic spell, and if you'll just say it, then you get to go to heaven. Can I tell you that the words you say have no power to inherit the kingdom of God? It's all about where you place the trust in your heart. Are you trusting in the finished work of what Jesus, because praise be unto God, the Holy Spirit of God is interceding on your behalf. So when we even don't know what to say, God knows the condition of our heart. And so the question that I've got to ask you is, when he comes again, will you be ready? Will you be ready when he comes again? Does this promise mean something to you? Because if you're here this morning and the thought of him coming again scares you to death, I want to say, be careful. Because the thought of him coming again, listen to me, Christians, the thought of him coming again is our hope. It's our promise. And if you sit there this morning and the thought of him coming again scares you to death. Now look, now I know there's gonna be some things that we don't understand. I know there's gonna be some things that, that cause this holy fear in us where we're gonna be in awe at the wondrous work of his return. So that's what I want you to understand. But the fear of going, oh golly, I hope you don't show up because I just don't know if I got it right yet. You're never gonna have it right. Jesus is simply saying, just trust me to get you there. And so maybe this morning, that needs to be your response. You need to fall on your knees and say, God, I don't even know what all this means. But I just know that I want to go where you're going and I don't have it in me to get there. And so Jesus, I'm going to trust in your finished work to get me where I can't get in my flesh. And so God, I'm just along for the ride. And God, I just want to submit to your authority, to your leadership. And today I want to turn from myself. I want to repent from trying to do what I can do. And I want to place my full faith and trust in you. And God, I don't even know what it all means. You ain't got to. I'm 45 years old. I was saved when I was 12 years old and I still can't even get the tip of the iceberg of understanding of God's love like that. That he would love me unconditionally right where I am in spite of who I am. But I do know 
that I'm trusting him to get me where I can't go. And I know that because he is gone, he's coming again. And so as we get ready to respond this morning, if the thought of his return doesn't bring hope, my encouragement today is that you settle that before you leave. The thought of his return is our hope. It's our security. It's our life. And we need to walk in that confidence. We need to walk in that boldness. But maybe today you're, you relate to Thomas. You're troubled. You're burdened. You're weighted down. And you're so focused on your circumstances that you have forgotten the promises. You know, when we forget these promises, it paralyzes us from doing what God has called us to do. Because we think our hope is found in our circumstances and our situations. And so this morning, if you're sitting here and your, your heart is troubled, and you just don't know if you can face tomorrow, first and foremost, hear what the Son of God says. Let not your heart be troubled. And as we said last week, how dare we trust him with our eternity, but don't trust him with tomorrow. You've trusted him for your eternal salvation. But in our flesh, it's so hard to trust him in the troubles that we're walking through now. But can I tell you, that's okay. Because we've all been there. We've all gotten the t-shirt. We've all been in that same place. But this morning, I encourage you in your troubles, in your trials, Maybe you just need to say, thank you, God, for reminding me of your promise today. I know you're not here. And because you're physically not here, according to the word of God, you're coming again. So maybe you need to be like that child that's being dropped off in the nursery. You're distraught. You're frustrated with the circumstances. Maybe today you need to envision the heavenly father grabbing you with his nail-scarred hands and holding you by the hand and whispering to you as his child saying, don't worry, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. God, I thank you for these promises today. God, we could spend months just looking at these few verses and God, I know that as we gaze out around us, we, we live in a world full of troubles, full of trials, full of sickness and disease, full of death. But God, I thank you that you tell us God, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. 
God, I pray today there's somebody here they just got that glimpse of hope today knowing that you'll be right back. So God, let that promise give them strength to keep moving forward. So God, we love you and we thank you for your promise today in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to stand to your feet. This altar's open. If, if you Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.